this is that's actually a really good sponsor Readwise, yeah that would be yeah, perfect. especially if i like the product too because it's like i feel like we would it would tie so much into the episodes oh yeah yeah uh so since we did a a cold start on this one uh for everyone joining we decided to start recording early since neil and i were talking about getting highlights out of kindle and uh our, our unofficial sponsor for the episode is readwise readwise.io um, which I have not used. So not I'm, used. I'm, I'm getting the intro as you guys are getting the intro, unless you already use it. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just the best tool for it. They're not officially sponsoring the podcast, but I, I use them for everything for like all my exporting. So they basically what they do is they like pull your notes from like Instapaper or pocket. They pull them from Twitter. They pull them from Kindle. They can do iBooks uh, and they can do audio highlights through air audio too. So Whenever you highlight something on any app, it gets saved in your Readwise database, and then Readwise automatically exports it to Evernote, Notion, Roam, wherever you want it. So that's awesome. That sounds much needed. Yeah, because the my uh, my workflow, which is going to sound archaic in hindsight, uh, <laughs> is I take the notes in Kindle. I use the Kindle export feature, which is super ugly. Uh, it like exports an HTML, not an HTML file. What is it? Just like plain text, I think. Uh, and then I copy and paste that into Google Docs and then I organize it in there. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's nasty looking. So um, yeah, I was, the, the prelude to this was I was asking Nat, like, is there is there a uh, better way to, uh, to export from Kindle? Because I, I don't know about you, Nat. I've been doing that ever since we started the podcast. I've been doing like years ago now. Uh, I've been doing much more Kindle than than I ever was uh, before that. Like I do like physical books still, but for note taking, it it doesn't even compare. Yeah, I well, yes and no. So the the other nice thing with Readwise is you can like you can. So I actually just read physical books now, so I don't oh, read nice. pretty much anything just, on Kindle. <laughs> oh wow! Because you can yeah. take notes through Readwise on there. Yeah, because what I do is I take like sticky tabs on the book whenever I see something interesting. And then with Readwise, you can um, do like OCR scanning of book pages. So you like go to the page where you put a tab um, and then Readwise takes a picture of it. And then you highlight the text from the page on Readwise that you want to highlight. And then Readwise saves it as a highlight. So it takes like... So you can search through that text then. It's not just doing it as an image. Oh, exactly. It's awesome. not an image. It's actual. Yeah. Text. Because yeah. I have, I have on my, uh, well, and anybody who follows me on Twitter knows this because I post screenshots of physical books, uh, decent amount, not screenshots, I guess, pictures of physical books, uh, a decent amount. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I go through my photos in my, in my phone, I probably have like hundreds of those. Um, yeah. but you can't search through any of them. Right. I don't even know. Yep. Like sometimes I've gone back and like looked at some of them. I'm like, what book was this from? Like, it's really interesting. <laughs> It's really interesting, but I uh, don't remember what the, you know, what book this is from. So yeah, yeah. I, that's awesome. So you can search through the text. So yeah, it's kind of like those like scan to, uh, yeah, I guess those like, you know, those, um, I forget, I have one on my phone, whatever it is, the one that like you can scan a document scan and text, it turns yeah. it into, yeah. Yeah. Sa- same concept. You just, you know, you highlight the portion of the page that you want to save as a highlight and then it's functionally the same as doing a highlight in Kindle, that's but you get the joy really of cool. physical books again. Yeah. It's- yeah. Yeah. And also like, I mean, I don't have a standalone Kindle. I just use my iPad. And so like the temptation to switch apps and all that, like I sometimes don't, I'm like, oh, oh, I wish yeah. I had a physical, de- you know, I don't want to bring a device with me <laughs> when I'm reading this necessarily. Uh, 
I, I mean, maybe that's a self-control thing, but it's nice to sometimes just have the book and no, no devices with you. I agree. And I like having bookshelves. So yeah, that's true too. You yeah. can't just fill your bookshelves with Kindles. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes there is, there is like, it's also nice for like the instant gratification. Uh, it can be dangerous too, but you like come across a book uh, recommendation somewhere and you're like, I'm just going to buy the Kindle version like right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and be reading it like 10 seconds later. Yeah. There's something to that. That part's certainly nice. Uh, but yeah, more impulse buys. I do have probably way more books in my Kindle that I've not read <laughs> than I've <actually laughs> read. that you have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. It's uh, what is it? Umberto Eco's anti-library. Yeah. Yep. The, the library of all the books you haven't read. You know, last year I, uh, or like maybe it was the beginning of this year. It was like December or January. I, um, I sold or like got rid of, gave away or sold, uh, a lot of books on my bookshelf that if I had read them, I didn't think I'd ever look, you know, look at them again. Like they're ones mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm sure we all have those books that you like read. You're like, Oh, it looked interesting. And it's like, okay, cool. This was, it was a good book or a not so good book, but you're like, I'm probably never like, there's no occasion. I'm going to look at this again. Yeah. Uh, so I just like made a lot of room on my bookshelf, uh, that way, but there's no way to do that with the Kindle books. <laughs> they're just, yeah, they're just there. <laughs> Delete uh, this from my Amazon account. I no yeah. longer want to see. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause there's a lot of like, I don't know. Like I kept all the books that I'm like, okay, I really like, you know, this is a book I'm, I'm probably, you know, even if I don't think I'm going to read it again, it's one I like having as like a reminder uh, yeah. on the bookshelf, right? You just see the book and it reminds you of a lot of the concepts. Like, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, like a visual cue or something, but, uh, yeah, then there's a bunch which are, you know, they're popcorn books or the, they were a better title or a better cover than they ended up actually being or the title. The title is the book as always. Yeah. Those. That's all that also happens. And, and fiction too. Like I found there's the like variance in fiction can really matter, like, you know, can be uh huge too. Right. It's like, even if it was a good book, it doesn't mean it's a book you want to look at again. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah. You know, and yeah. And, or it's like a mystery type of book. And there's like, I probably don't want to, you know, I already know what happens now. I'm definitely not going to read it. Um, on the flip side of that. And then maybe we should get into the actual episode that we're doing. Uh, That's on, fun. Yeah. On, on the flip, <laughs> on the flip side of that, like I have also, I think it was Seneca, maybe Seneca was one of those, one of those guys, uh, Seneca or Marcus Aurelius or somebody, uh, was talking about like the rereading books, right? Like instead of reading right. thousands of books, rereading a few books, uh, I like think about that a lot, but I've never taken action on that. <laughs> it's like one of those yeah. things that's top of mind. Like I do anytime, not anytime, but many times when I'm like look, looking at buying new books or something, I'm like, should I just reread some of the like classics and then nah, I'm going to go buy these new books. Yeah. I'm going to find something new. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to feel like I need to be doing more and more of that because I've noticed my like odds of reading a mind blowingly good books seem to have gone down in the last year or two. <laughs> I don't know if I've just like run out of a plus recommendations from no, no. friends or if like my selection has been getting worse or what, but like I, I've been feeling more as if, I just need to go back and read. Like I haven't, I haven't had a book that really like blew my mind since, I don't know, seeing like a state was really good. Yeah. Um, like anti-fragile, obviously. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of, it's just like the made you think <laughs> history. It's like all the books that we did. If anybody has a book recommendation that can get, uh, can blow our minds, that would be much appreciated. Uh, yeah. and that we haven't covered obviously, uh, because, 
you know, if it does blow our minds, we'd like to probably do it on the show. Seriously. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I can't think of one either actually in recent uh, memory. I mean, I like, I do enjoy, I think I covered this on your, on my Nat chat interview with you. Yeah. Uh, but I do enjoy history quite a bit, even though I like at the same time recognize a lot of it is not just not like fake news, but like definitely just a very simplified version of probably what actually happened. Uh, so it's like weird. I like somewhat read it as fiction, but it's like interesting because it somewhat happened. I don't know. Yeah. It's like inspired by a true story. A lot of times history. I've been, I've been uh, re-listening so I wouldn't call to... it like mind blowing, but yeah. What were you re-listening to? Oh, I was saying I'm, I'm re-listening to uh, Dan Carlin's world war one series. Oh yeah. That's the blueprint so for Armageddon one. It's so good. It's so good. And going He's back a, to the, going the back nuclear. to the note taking. Yeah. The, yep. Uh, being able to listen to podcasts on air and like highlight audio as I'm going is like super fucking sick. So that's something, another thing I need to try out. I saw, yeah. I saw your uh, post about that, but you know, I haven't been listening to as many, uh, as many podcasts. I recently kind of figured out how to work them back into my schedule, but like my, um, my occasions for listening to podcasts were, uh, when I was like, when we were living in New York, I was walking almost everywhere. So, right. uh, I used to listen while I was walking and, uh, the gym, which I uh, obviously doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> uh, home workouts. It's not the, you know, cause you have like a TV or you have like other stuff near, you know, I, yeah. I just haven't, I, ha- I mean, I, okay. So this is what I mean. I've adjusted, I've, I've like started again. So now I, I do that now. Uh, but for months, you know, since like, uh, March, I hadn't been doing uh, podcasts while I worked out. So, uh, so that's, that was the other one. And then, um, driving, which I also haven't been doing very much of. So those are those or travel, like in general, right? Like flights and whatnot. Yep. So, um, yeah, so my podcast listening had gone down, but I, I think it was a few months ago or weeks ago, you had posted about being able to take audio notes, which I thought was really cool. And I was like, Oh, and I start getting back into po- listening to podcasts regularly. I need to try that out. Yeah. I, I like it cause it makes podcasting podcast listening feel much more productive. Like I'm going to remember those things that were interesting in it versus, you know, just immediately forgetting them. And it's made me shift my podcast listening towards a bit more educational stuff and away from like, you know, just listening to Joe Rogan all the time. Like entertainment type of listening. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's um, the thing. Like I actually was, uh, I was talking to somebody about how the word podcast is kind of, um, kind of like too broad right? Because there's like so many, it's kind of like calling everything that's like written writing, (laughs) you know, like it's like a very broad category. Like writing could be like, you know, uh, I don't know, like us weekly type of magazines or something, (laughs) or it can be go to let your buck (laughs) or it can be the Bible, right? There's like, there's like very, uh, there's so much variance in that medium, right? When like podcast is kind of similar, like you can listen to purely entertainment type Mm -hmm. of stuff, comedy, uh, you can listen to, you know, Dan Carlin type of thing, right. Which is, uh, something else. And then, you know, or you could listen to made you think, which is entertainment and educational, uh, pure so, education. There's yeah, no goofing education. around here. <laughs> Definitely didn't spend the first tangents. 15 minutes of the episode, not even talking about the name of the book. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should do the pre-roll thing <laughs> Maybe again. We should. should we? I don't know. I think that uh, all, all of my work. conceptions about what you need to do a podcast well have gone out the window considering <laughs> we we didn't publish anything for a year and a half and we hit like a first episode download record and you know we're still getting downloads and you know we have basically no 
pretenses of professionalism or anything. So that's true I think too. we should just that's true. I think we should just, just keep rolling with it. Like. Yeah, we'll just, just keep rolling, rolling with, it. with it. Yeah. I think if we, if we try to be everybody else, then we're just going to make the same podcast as everyone else. That's a good, very good point. That should be a, a motivational poster somewhere. There we go. <laughs> if you do Side the same hustle. things as everyone else, you'll get to where everyone else is. It needs to be worked a little bit. But that, that's got to already exist, right? If yeah, you, no, but I meant the podcast specific one. Oh, the podcast the market, specific the market, one. Yeah. The market is just for podcasters, which it seems like there's a lot now. So pretty solid <laughs> I find people find market. that advice very uh, dissatisfying when you're just like, eh, just you know, do whatever you feel like and yeah. it might be fine. <laughs> just try to be interesting. It's like, all right, no, I need to know exactly how long my description should be. <laughs> that is the secret. <laughs> yeah, there's something there's something to that. Like the uh the need for absolute certainty, <laughs> like in a in an environment where it's not possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, the the like market for how to's is 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 massive. Um I mean it's like I find the same thing with uh like for my book, like the startup gold mine, it's very like I wouldn't even call it tactical. There's like two tactical chapters and the rest of it is kind of like the philosophy of selling to a big company and the psychology mm-hmm. of selling to a big company. And, uh, but the amount of like, what's the right word for it? Tactical requests, I guess that I get like somebody asking like, Oh, well, the, I wish you elaborated on this chapter. It's like, well, every company you're dealing with is very different. <laughs> and the specific, right. like I can't cover every situation in a static book. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's just the fact. And like, same thing with podcasting like it's very hard to predict what works and what doesn't i mean we didn't have much of a plan going into made you think no we're just like you want to like not like we're you know we're not like a massively successful uh podcast but some people listen you're listening whoever's listening yeah i mean Uh, spotify is getting ready to pay us 100 million for the exclusive stream we're not allowed to yeah we can't say numbers things (laughs) spotify yeah we're not even going to edit that up no no <laughs> All right, what book are we doing today? We are doing Scale: The Universal Laws of Life, Growth, and Death in Organisms, Cities, and Companies by Jeffrey West. I think that's how you say his name, right? Yeah, I think it's Jeff. I hope so. We hope so. Uh, but this this book is like made for made you think. Uh, that's the sense I got. So Nat recommended it to me. Uh, and I think within like the first 20 pages, I was like, wow, this, this covers so many things that we've, yeah. uh, that we've like talked about or like gone on tangents about. Um, so it's, it's very, very interesting. Uh, and we're going to dive into all of it, uh, today. Uh, what would you say the book is actually about? Like, I know scale, but like beyond that, what would you say it's about? Well, I think this is why a lot it's of such things. a, yeah, well, I think that's why it's such a great book for this podcast since we tend to enjoy tying together threads from disparate topic areas yep and what i really love about this book is it it's just about how things scale or like how things grow and then either continue growing or stop growing or decay and what makes the book so interesting is that there are very observable consistent laws for how things grow across organisms, cities, and companies, which are the main things that he focuses on. And then kind of within the substructures of each of those types of things, there are, you know, smaller and other scaling laws that kind of like grow and change with the thing that is growing and changing. And so it's really neat because, you know, in in one chapter, he can talk about how 
you know, heart rates of mammals scale in a similar way to like the socioeconomic pros and cons of living in a city. And yep. uh, just that, that ability to tie together ideas from so many different areas with what appear to be kind of like fundamental laws, like this sort of emergent laws of growth uh, in so many areas is, is really interesting. And the, yep. the thing that I particularly like about it is, how it shows some of the like the nature in the unnatural in the sense that i got that too yeah yeah because cities are not a natural thing but cities follow a lot of these same laws as like you know other things in nature in the same way that like companies especially the the way that companies scale in very similar manners to organisms right, right. where was, yep exactly yep like they they live and die very similar to how organisms do it's just like a, a company is you know theoretically at least a human invention right like there shouldn't be yeah. A, yeah. a natural a law similarity. for companies yeah but there seems to be so well and it I, seems I just, it, the, yeah the tying together of these seemingly very different things uh to have the same not just i guess not just scaling rules but even like death rules right like the uh the fact that organisms and companies kind of are fated to to die uh in the same way that uh or and sorry and then um versus a ecosystem i think when when we're talking like when we say like uh cities are more you know i guess similar to like nature i guess by nature we probably mean ecosystems Right. Cause like nature could be a lot of different things. Well, and uh, just individual animals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Although like, like cities, the thing that, that he brought up, kept bringing up about cities is they're kind of, they don't have to die. I guess. Well, yeah. Or cities you, don't yeah. die. That's, that's the really crazy yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. To your point about like other natural things growing and scaling and kind of these seemingly infinite ways that cities can. Uh, well, and it reminded me, and it reminded me of something you brought up in an episode. Uh, it might even be in my notes here, but it was, um, you said that uh, when we talk about like, you know, humans are destroying the earth or, or whatnot, right. Or like the, you know, climate change is, is ruining the earth. It's like the earth kind of doesn't care. The earth is going to keep going, right. It's well, yeah, an ecosystem. It's, <laughs> it's humans. It's like the human not, livability part. Of yeah. It. We're not ruining the earth. We're making it unlivable for humans. Right. Like right. <laughs> the, the earth doesn't really care if it has plants or not. I mean, the animals certainly care and some would say the plants care. Right. Yeah. But it, it is this thing where the, the overall system is That's going what to I mean, be fine system. and change yes. and recover. Uh, yep. We might not be part of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's very, unfortunate. yeah, but it's very interesting that the, um, well, and it's also, I guess, taking a step back, it's also very interesting to be talking about cities at this exact moment in time. Right. Cause like yeah. obviously this book was written pre COVID. Uh, and then, it, <laughs> it, so we'll get to that. That's near the end. But, uh, it, like it's some of his things about cities, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, you could say they're debatable or not. I mean, Rome is still, uh, you know, still going strong all these thousands of years later. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. on the other hand, it's, it does make you wonder or make you think, uh, if, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> if, um, <laughs> if this time is different, right. Cause like the internet is a complete game changer in many ways. Remote work is complete game changer in, in other ways. But uh, anyway, we'll get to that later. I guess that's towards the end of the book. Yeah. Although we're, we're welcome to jump around. I guess yeah. we have to decide if we want to keep, you know, cause I, I like the, 
I like the natural flow of conversation. And the one thing that I think we did a bad job of when we were doing the podcast before was like forcing ourselves to go through linearly, yeah. go through everything. Yeah, like, cause then when we did some of the books, like, uh, laws of human nature, <laughs> we're, we're trying to force ourselves into like three minutes a chapter. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. We would do the timer. <laughs> yeah. We had the timer going off the whole episode. So it could be it could be good for those kinds of books. So for these kinds, I'm I'm sort of down to jump just around just based on yeah. Yeah, I mean they sort of as we're talking about these things, right? Like what one thing that I think would be interesting to pull up here is this idea of a, a scaling exponent for different things in nature. Yeah. Right. Where um basically there's there are things that scale along with size that are not growing at like a one-to-one rate. So the example he gives is uh, heart rates for mammals, where as, you know, if the size of a mammal is doubled, its heart rate decreases by about 25%. Uh, well, the, the one related to that that's super cool is that all mammals, uh, and I, I looked this up after, by the way, I, I, we can uh, put the link in the in the show notes. There's like actual research that's been done on this uh but the number of heartbeats in a mammal uh, in a specific mammal's life is roughly the same across species yeah so which is so crazy right crazy yeah it's about it, 1 billion it's about i think it's about 1 billion uh yeah. heartbeats per lifetime on average so it's like it doesn't matter if it's an elephant or a mouse or a human being uh it's roughly the same and then the heartbeat uh, or like the pace right the heart rate uh, that varies based on size. Right. So this is where the, if the size of mammal doubles, the heart rate decreases by about 25%, which is why yep. bigger mammals tend to live longer. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I think that there, but it also brings up a question and this maybe takes us on a tangent. Ta- maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see. perhaps. Uh, but like when we say longer, it's longer in terms of, I guess, revolutions around the sun, right? Like by an objective, you know, a third measurement. But if you take it from a subjective measurement, the smaller animals are living faster. You know, you could say. That's a good right? point. Like they're living like they live less objective time, but I mean, perhaps like the subjective experience isn't actually any different. I mean, I I don't know, right? I've never been a mouse. <laughs> so I don't right. know. Uh but um yeah, I, I don't know. It's like it's a question I think about, right? Like cuz you know, there's even like with insects, there's, I think that some of them live like a week or something. And it's like, well, what does that week to them feel? Does it feel like the same lifetime that we have? And then there's like sharks that live, you know, hundreds of years potentially. Uh, And then it's like, well, how does that feel to them? Right. Is it like subjectively the same uh, amount of time? I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. Obviously it's just, it was a, it was a thought. I think subjective time would be determined by, like neurons firing and your ability to mentally react to the environment. I don't think your metabolism would Affects determine that. your perception. Yeah, that's true. I guess, yeah, I guess the conscious right. awareness of, uh, of that could even yeah, be argued like, like do those. Yeah. If my yeah. resting heart rate when I'm sitting is like 60 BPM, it doesn't matter. I'm, yeah. If yeah. I'm out running and I get my heart rate up to 180 BPM, I don't feel like time is moving three times slower. That's true, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. Or three times faster. Yeah, yeah so, that makes sense. It's no uh, slower. Yeah, it. interesting. But the, I mean, the, the thing that um, is sort of interesting to me here 
too is like humans humans seem to break this rule a little bit although he had humans in the graph didn't he or in the chart yeah i i, I can and pull it up. actually i had it uh I, I don't have the visual in front of me but my, my intuition is that humans live longer than they should but i could be wrong about that humans live yes we are higher on that graph yeah here because when i think uh, of something like uh you know like a bear right which is five times our weight and maybe like four times our weight or you know one and a half uh times like you know for a smaller bear or something like they're only living 20 30 years right right max and our, our biological yeah, lifespan seems to be like 70 to 80 right so uh, i wonder I mean, yeah generally but yeah that's yeah i mean that it maybe that's the technology or humans kind of stepping out of you know a quote-unquote purely well, I think natural that, world I think it's like our pre-technology lifespan yeah. like i think it's maybe more like 60 70 right when we take out infant death and whatever like what duration is the body built to live for i, I want to say it's in that 60 to 80 range um yeah although i would take it I w- yeah i guess if you take out child uh mortality what was oh well actually here's a question i wonder how they calculated it for because you said you saw the link I sent you, right? Uh, I don't think so. What'd you oh, say? Okay, I put one in the uh, in the chat that had the the graphic. Oh, I don't uh, have the chat, but okay. Uh, Let me see. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so man is obviously higher, uh, right? Much higher than than the other ones. Um, but yeah, I you wonder. It, like, do they? Uh, or actually, you may know the answer. I don't. I don't know the answer at all. Um, what was? what was like life expectancy pre-civilization? Do they, do they have an answer for that? Well, that's what I was going to say is uh, what I was going to try to look up. So like, because when you take out death from, you know, cause we're not talking about disease or war or like any of those things. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. And that, I mean, there's a lot of definitional questions here because i mean this is also a good a good segue into uh a point that he brought up when he was talking about life extension right so he said right. uh there's two um there's kind of two points that are talked about there's maximizing the natural life ex- uh ex- expectancy of, of human beings which um and he gives a bunch of evidence about how that's about 125 years uh is, yeah sort is of like the max yeah, at least so yeah. far. And and then the then the second question is can that be extended further? So for example, 125 to like 250 years, for example. Right. Um I was thinking I think I made a note about this like I wonder if uh him and Daniel, I think it was Daniel Dennett, right? Uh is the beginning of infinity. Beginning of infinity, yeah. Yeah, it was one of them. I don't remember there was like two authors who keep getting confused. Well, yeah, there's Daniel Dennett uh, and David Deutsch. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which one am I talking about? Am I did I get it right? Uh, I think, you know, I, think I can't, I, I can't remember uh, because one of them is Darwin's no, it's dangerous. It's David Deutsch. Yeah. It's David right. Deutsch. Cause Darwin's dangerous idea by Daniel Dennett yes, is the other one, which is just like hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if he did that intentionally or if when you've got like alliteration in your name, you just have an affinity for the letter D. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, it's possible. I can see uh, that. But yeah, this was, this was, uh, uh, David Deutsch. So, yeah, I mean, in that book, right? I mean, he takes the the viewpoint that like 125 years wouldn't be the natural 
kind of uh, asymptote, you know, if you think about it right. from a mathematical standpoint, um, that it's just problems we haven't figured out how to solve. And then, uh, and then in this book, it kind of takes, I, I mean, at least I got the sense that his take on it was that 125 is kind of the, uh, or it hasn't been shown that you can go beyond that in a kind of in a, any kind of scalable manner, but I could be wrong. I mean, I think I was reading between the lines there a little bit of, of well, what it seemed like. It seems like the issue once you get up to that age is just some amount of like entropy and natural decay in the cell's ability to replicate. And once you get to that point, there's really not much you can do. Yeah. Um, and that, that does bring up a good point because a lot of this book is about entropy. So, yeah. um, so I guess we can talk sort about of like that. naturally destroyed or de- while, oops, while being made more efficient. Can you still hear me? Yep. Yeah, I got you. Okay, cool. I uh, accidentally turned off my mic for a second there. But <laughs> no worries. I, it only cut out for like a split second. Uh, but yeah, the, so the, um, I mean, the point about entropy is a good one just because um, I think the, one of the main things I took away from it was that you can try to repair damage and um, you know, you can obviously take things from disorder to order, but entropy is always created and then you have to externalize it somehow. So I think for right. cities, he brought up, uh, well, for, for biological uh, creatures, right? He brought up waste. So, uh, you know, when you drink something, you pee. When you eat something, you poop, right? You got That's like the basic example. Uh, you know, when you breathe, you exhale CO2, right? So there's, there's like waste products created. Cities, he brought up the example of like garbage, right? And heat and energy use and stuff. So there's always these essentially like externalities created, Uh from any kind of disorder to order type of mechanism. And then um, I guess that ties into his concept of, of kind of like 125 years being the, the maximum. But I guess then the question is, can you figure out ways to externalize that entropy or minimize that entropy? I should say that push that number higher and higher and higher. Uh, It does bring up the question about infinite lifespan, right? Because that, that was, that's been talked about, uh, you know, I think in, that same book, right? The beginning of infinity. Yep. Um, yeah, it just brings, it, it just makes you wonder like, can you do that in a human substrate? Right. Like, like, I think he didn't talk about that in this book, but I think the, I mean, I don't know, right. If you can ever get out of the human or the biological substrate for a human being, <laughs> we talked about that in that episode. You should definitely check yeah. it out. Uh, but if you could, like, I don't want, I don't even know if it's possible. And if you could, does that is does that qualify as like one of these singularities that he's talking about in this book, uh, which helps kind of reset the whole equation? Yeah, well, we should talk about those because yep. this idea of a finite time singularity is a really big theme of this book and where the book gets a little bit darker, which is yes. basically that uh, yeah. society has been continually advancing, right? Like we've continued to grow and there's new scientific developments and increasing wealth and all of that. Um, but this concept of a finite time singularity, uh, and I'm reading from the book here, is uh, the problem is that the theory also predicts that unbounded growth cannot be sustained without having either infinite resources or inducing major paradigm shifts that reset the clock before potential collapse occurs. We have sustained open-ended growth and avoided collapse by invoking continuous cycles of paradigm-shifting innovations, such as those associated on the big scale of human history with discoveries of iron, steam, coal, computation, and most recently, digital information technology. So what really stands out here is uh, he's suggesting that 
Uh, we we have been able to advance at such a crazy rate because we keep discovering these things that reset the slowing growth of new innovations, right? So something new like the internet comes out and there's this massive potential for new things to be built on it, right? But then we kind of like start to run out of those things and there becomes less and less innovation on the internet, but then like boom, cell phone, you know, smartphones come out like the iPhone and we've got like this whole new potential for like building stuff in a new way and like all these exciting new things happen. But, you know, there's not a lot of like new, there's not a lot of massively new paradigm shifting apps coming out anymore, right? If we look at 10 years ago when we had stuff like Uber and, you know, like all the food delivery apps, even stuff like Airbnb and anything that was facilitated by mobile technology. Right. We have like fewer of that stuff coming out now just because a lot of the big like land grabs have already been taken. So, you know, well, the and next- then people, people argue that like the uh, 5G will be, you know, kind of the next one because I, I guess the speeds will be, uh, you know, so fast as, as to be like instant feeling almost. Um, right. I don't know if that's true, right? I, I don't know much about 5G, so nobody should take my word for it. Um, but that's I would have guessed like something AR I've, I've or read. VR. Yeah, right? yeah, but you could, argue those are, you could argue that those are enabled by that, right? Like, because yeah, then you don't point. have to worry about like Wi-Fi or anything. I mean, you just go like, I, I've read very like a little bit about 5G and some one thing I was reading was that, uh, I mean, it'll make your like Wi-Fi speed seem slow. Like it, right. it is essentially going to be like instant loading of whatever size, at least see. And that's the other thing is like, if you think about file sizes from 2008, let's say to now, yeah. it's just like a whole nother magnitude, you know, magnitude just because of internet speed. So you can facilitate that. Right. Uh, well, that's the, <laughs> so that's, that's why I'm never convinced by these claims about like, Oh, it's going to be so fast that it'll feel instantaneous because those because- file size will just grow. Yeah, exactly. Every single time we have increased storage capacity of computers or increased speeds of downloads, we have also increased the quality but of then, the files. But then, <laughs> like, but then that does enable more like VR, AR type stuff that you were just talking about. Yeah, true. Because like, yeah, if because we're willing to more, step a back a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, you know, I just remember downloading like uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 on the Xbox. Yep. And it's like an 80 gigabyte game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's and insane. it takes like hours to download. Yeah, it, not, it not hours, took, but yeah, it, t- it takes a long time to download. It takes forever, right? Yeah. It's just like, yep. all right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, but it's, it's awesome. an incredibly, it's an incredibly detailed game too, right? Like you oh, cannot yeah. even and, imagine, you know, that 10 years ago. Yeah, we could do an episode on that game. It's a great game. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't beaten it. My brother beat it. I haven't really played it as much, uh, but I, I've like I played it enough to know it's an incredible game. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be worth fun, all eighty gigabytes. Yeah, know, we we could do a game. We could do Bioshock or something. Bioshock would be a good one. I haven't played. It's based on it's based on like Ayn Rand mythology. All right, so that that fits uh, fits into here. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, we'll do a game one. Let's talk about that. We should do a game uh, one, yeah. But yeah, we were... So yeah, we, we, were we talking about? We are talking about the... the uh, like Finite that, time that singularity. Breakthrough innovation. Having to break through, yeah. yeah. Well, and then his, his point is sort of that each time one of these happens, the next one has to happen faster. Yeah, that's the dark part. The I growth think. is accelerating. And so we eventually get to a point where we need to be kind of like resetting the paradigm clock every month or week or day. And when we get to that point, then... Like what happens, right? Do we just go stagnant for a really long time? Does this like hyperbolic insane growth just stop? And we kind of like 
hit a flat point? It's it's a really interesting question. Um, have you read uh, Three Body Problem? No, but I I need to. I know yeah. it's on my list. I've, it, I've super yeah. super incredible book, and it's interesting because one of the premises, or there, it's it's not actually a big premise. I'm not really spoiling anything, but one thing that gets brought up in the book is that um, the like humans are an exponentially developing species, um, like technologically and the, uh, the adversary alien race is like a linear developing one based Uh. on where they are. And so it's like, what does that mean for, uh, fighting over, you know, multi-generational time periods, right? It's like, it's actually kind of an interesting question. And I think the intuition is that, well, obviously every intelligent species would be exponentially growing, but I think, Wes makes a good point here that like, no, you could hit a wall eventually where you just sort of like run out of paradigm shifts. Yep. Um, and well, I mean, yeah, that's a great, the fl- point. That's yeah. A point. I think the, the flip side to that, that I think David Deutsch probably would say, right. Would be like, no, because you just can't imagine all of the new paradigms that we're going to come across well, as we continue point, to develop. Right? I don't even think those things are opposed to each other. It's just that I would say David Deutsch is more optimistic that we can, keep finding those paradigm shifting yeah. uh, innovations, I guess. Right. And because I guess, yeah, even if they exist, we have to keep finding them faster. Right. Right. And that's to, the part to keep that growing is... exponentially. We could continue to right. grow really quickly. We could keep growing at this rate, but if we want to keep growing faster and faster, then we do. Well, need but to then start. this is where, well, then this is where it gets dark though. Right. Because like he brings up the point of uh, society is kind of structured for that massive growth. Right. Um, and I think, have you seen those things around like population decline? Like if there was population decline over the yeah, next hundred years? Which, which there is in most of the world. It like. seems like it. Yeah. 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 And that is, uh, I mean, that brings up a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, yeah, can you so still hear me? Yep. Sorry. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It brings up a lot of issues around like just how society is structured because in, in, I guess modern, you can call them like liberal democracies, right? The working, the people who are currently working are basically paying for everyone who's retired along with, you know, all the societal uh, benefits uh, that go go along with that. And so if that piece of people who is working or is developing, you know, who has income uh, that can be taxed. So, I mean, you you can call it whatever, you can call it just tax base, not just working. I mean, you could say capital gains and stuff too. So you can say the tax base uh, shrinks or stays the same like that poses a lot of issues for yeah. for society and can I mean, and I we're guess already he, we're already going to have issues with social security like yep yep without that's the first that. one that comes to mind yeah yeah and then imagine if you know the u.s population starts shrinking and fewer and fewer people are paying for social security for more and more people it's not an ideal situation yeah so then it, it brings up like a lot of hard choices then of like well do you cut those benefits and then but then what happens to those people and then or do you increase taxes even you know like further right. and further and, and then it, but then you know what well, does that similar, do to the economy uh so yeah there's it brings up basically my point is just like the uh like exponential growth or like continued growth is kind of like built in now it's kind of like baked into the system like without that right. that collapse he's talking about kind of does happen by default uh if you can't yeah it, yeah well, and it, it it all depends on pulling in resources from other places that do collapse, right? So it's kind of like, uh, you know, the reason the U.S. has been able to grow and grow so well isn't really because of birth rates, because of immigration, right? Right. right. So yeah. if we if people stopped immigrating to the U.S., 
then it wouldn't take long for all of that growth to reverse, yeah. right? And yep. for it to start going down. It's because like we're we're basically we're taking the most valuable resource from other countries, right? We're taking the brain power and the the labor um yep. from like the most abled people who are able to get over here. <laughs> yeah, and, and also who have a self selection and who have like a self selection for like motive, you know, almost are like self-selecting to be motivated to take action or you know, positive action, right. To like go somewhere right. to take a risk. Um, there's, I mean, that's, <laughs> there's some self-selection bias there too, right. It's not, we're not, oh, we're not huge. taking like the average, uh, you know, random person from other countries. It's like someone who's willing to, or, you know, has nothing over there, but somebody who's willing to at least kind of do something right. To change the, uh, the status quo. I wonder how much of that is like part of the problem with America. <laughs> like everybody in it is descended from people who were like insane enough to ride on a boat to a yeah. place they'd never seen before with no friends Yep, <laughs> and like plop down on some farmland and be like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Right. Like, <laughs> you, you have to be partially insane to do that and like have a, you know, fairly strong, like, disregard for authority and sense of independence and like a lot of that's going to yeah yeah i mean that that's going to be in the genetic code somewhere right yeah and even if it's not the genetic code it gets taught down it can get taught down through generations as well right that too mannerisms and stuff so yeah (laughs) there's something to that yeah you've got a general you know a country full of people who are like crazy individualists who came over here and (laughs) figured it out and then well, you know you start telling them they all have to sit inside and wear masks and it's not a huge surprise that we're the country that fucked it up <laughs> <laughs> you're totally on to something about the individualist part because like i mean again i haven't lived in any other countries so if this is uh if somebody feels like their country is more individualistic than america i'd love to to know like please tweet at me and tell me uh but like there's something to be said for even if like, so when I say individualism, it's not a right or left thing. It just means like you believe like your feelings and your rights and your, you know, yourself matter, I guess, in a significant right. way. Um, and if you look at other cultures uh, and not just other cultures, it's just like other countries and other places, the um, I'm not saying the other places don't value individualism or value an individual person's feelings, life rights, all of that stuff. Uh, but they have other structures that are equally, if not more, uh, valuable. Like it could be family or it could be the state, uh, in certain places. It could be society, right? It could be tradition. Like there are, uh, it could be religion, right? In other places. So there are like, you're serving other gods almost, right? Whereas, right. uh, in America, you're kind of like the, the God is the, is the individual, the self, uh, Right. I mean, that's my interpretation of, of our society for sure. Yeah. And it's not a right or left thing. Like it's not even like an entrepreneurship thing. It's like, even if you, uh, you know, let's say it's it's not something not about entrepreneurship at all. It's just what, let's say you have a feel, you know, you feel something or you have a belief about something like you inherently believe that that belief matters (laughs) for lack of a better way of putting it. That's Uh, a good point. All right. You know, like, yeah, I feel like there's other societies where it'd just be like, well, okay. It just wouldn't even cross your mind that like, you might never even have had uh, uh, like that thought in the first place that like, Oh, this is a, this thought I have should be out in the world and other people should believe it too. <laughs> right. So yeah. Uh, yeah, there's like something in, and I'm probably dancing around it. I like, don't, I, I never tried putting this into, you know, this feeling, I guess, into words. 
Um, but there's something to, there's, there's something there. Definitely. And I don't know, it's just interesting because it's like, it kind of goes back to these finite time singularity uh, bottlenecks in growing the system, right? Like, yep. are we, because I think the big question, reading reading about this idea, right, that we need to undergo these massive paradigm shifts to continue to grow, uh, or we will, or, you know, the collapse will occur. Are we in a collapse or are we in a new paradigm or are we in a lull between paradigm changes yeah that's yeah it's like which of those states are we in because i feel like there's strong arguments for both sides of it right it really depends on i would argue lull uh i mean there's arguments for both (laughs) of course i would just argue lull because of uh like i do think space can be a unlocking mechanism as well what do you mean by space? Uh, well, like, resources from space, uh, co- like I- expanding oh, beyond you mean, Earth. You mean like space space? Like I mean space space. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean like leaving the Earth. Like that's a, that's a a new horizon. Like I would definitely call that a sing- you know, from his definition, like singularity to a new yeah. paradigm. Uh, so there's something, there's there's definitely something to that. It's just, I think Elon Musk even brought this up. Like it's it's almost like a, a race against the clock, <laughs> right? Right. Like, that's why I think when he even started uh, SpaceX, that was one of his motivations was like uh, something around like diversifying uh, humanity or something. What, what yeah, exactly. We're, yeah. we're over, we're over indexed in one planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and just one, one uh, thing based on what you said earlier, when I actually was reading this about the, the paradigm shifts uh, happening faster and faster, I, my initial instinct was I didn't buy it. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking, uh, you know, he's exaggerating this. So I, I was think this was my thought and maybe you're thinking this too. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, I was thinking that it's a perception thing. Like, Oh, it feels like things are going faster and faster to us, but maybe everybody felt, you know, felt that same way. Like if you go back to 1800 or let's say 1900, you know, people might've said, wow, like things are changing so fast. Like we got, just got electricity and now we got these like you know, horseless carriages <laughs> and, right. you know, and then those Wright brothers, they just flew that plane, you know, like, like I was thinking like, Oh, is there, is it just a perception thing? Um, or is it an objectively, objectively true thing? I mean, I, I've changed my mind. I was, so I talked to my grandmother about this and I asked her, cause I mean, she's lived between, so she was born in the 1930s and to now, and she's especially for her age, very uh, tech savvy. So I was asking her, like, does she feel like the, you know, things have changed faster or like, um, technology has come out faster and faster as she's lived. And, and she said, for sure. Like she said, it's not even a question. Hmm. Uh, so I mean, yeah, that's I mean, my she, intuition yeah. too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, how long was it between the television television was 1950s and personal computer was 1990s, eighties. When did the first Mac computer think come was out? The first, something like that. It was like, uh, 1984. Yeah. So yeah, we go from yeah, so it was thirty four years. Did cell phones become mainstream, like late nineties or mid nineties? Yeah, let's see. First Mac computers like nineteen eighty four. First cell phone was the Motorola one. Oh, that was in nineteen seventy three. That doesn't start right. Let's let me say first popular. Yeah, I think it's like popular. Uh well, I mean it's kind of like the digital camera was created. It's actually about the same time, 1983. So, um, but then like going from, 
I think like a good example of sort of the speed is like that first computer came out in like 1983, 84. Um, when was the first like really popular laptop? Okay. The first Mac portable came out in 1989. Hmm. What? That's wild. What did that look like? Oh my gosh. It's huge and disgusting. It's hilarious. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We have a very old computer, uh, which we still have. I don't know. I wonder if it turns on. Uh, which we had, I remember using it when I was like five years old and it, it yeah. had, cause it had some games on it, like very basic games. So this was probably 1996. Uh, and I remember at the same time, my dad had like a cooler looking work one. Uh, and I don't, I don't really remember what that one looks like, but I just remember we had like the, the one at home and, and then he had that work one and the one at home did not have color. <laughs> so that tells you, that tells That's you something. Fun. It was like, yeah, it was I think, orange text or something and like a black background <laughs> or something like that. There was no color for sure. Uh, yeah, and that, that just should, that makes me sound old. But uh, back in my day, my computer didn't have color. This is but, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Apple released the first laptop with Wi-Fi in 1999. And in the in the release video, like on stage, Steve jobs is like holding out the laptop as it's connected to Wi-Fi and passing a hula hoop back and forth over it to show there's no like secret cables. attached. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so funny. It's like a magician. I love but it. You know what though? It, that's well, I was just going to use the word magic. That's exactly yeah. like at the time that probably felt, uh, magical, like actually magical. So oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like I just told you when we just started the, when we started the call, like I got a computer over the weekend. Uh, it's my previous laptop was from like 2012 and this was uh, a newer MacBook pro and uh, like the, the one that I forget, I don't know when it came out, but to me, it's, it feels like magic. I was telling that I feel like I didn't, you know, I didn't know how fast you could, you could do things. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, I guess technology, somebody had that phrase, right? Like technology when, uh, was it Steve Jobs? It's like when technology done well feels oh, like that. indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. I don't think it's Steve Jobs. Just somebody. Somebody. Somebody smart. Jamie. <laughs> uh, Did Jamie Arthur, move to uh, Austin? Yeah, he moved to Joe Austin Rogan? too. Apparently, is he like an indentured servant? I'm sorry, Jamie, but <laughs> are you like an indentured servant to Joe Rogan? They're business partners, Neil. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're gonna get canceled <laughs> <laughs> it was arthur clark any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic yeah that's a smart smart yeah. quote it does feel that way when it first comes out and oh then, yeah uh, and then it just be like i remember my first iphone i thought was like the coolest thing ever it's like I dude can- somebody reminded me the other day the first iphone didn't have copy and paste no it did not <laughs> <laughs> But that was that was what like twelve years ago, right? First iPhone. You know what's nuts is that it can't. It feels like way longer than twelve years. You know, it just doesn't like. Yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it's been uh, thirteen like it years. Is, yeah. June twenty seventeen. Well, have you gone back and ever seen like screenshots from iMessage or Twitter from like twenty thirteen or fourteen? Oh, the user experience is hilariously terrible. Yeah, but it's not that long ago at all. No, like, 
Yeah, so well, I think that that lends yeah. credence to the idea that things are moving faster and faster. Right? Yes, that's like, exactly where I'm going with that. Yeah, that tech like, is developing faster and faster. Yeah, I so mean, I, that's where I landed after. I mean, I was talking to my grandmother, and then thinking back, like that's actually when I went back and looked at some. Like I was looking at what did iMessage look like five years ago, right? And it's just so much different, and the feature set is so much less, uh, you know, than what they have now. And, and iMessage is a terrible example because it hasn't even moved that fast. I right. Mean, so many other things that are just light years ahead of where they were uh, well, five and years I think ago. The, uh, even things like the tools on top of the tools. Yeah. So, you know, it took a really, it took a long time to go from just, you know, bare bones HTML and CSS to like being able to animate stuff on the page. And then like, you know, working with jQuery to do like database interactions without like refreshing the whole page. And, you know, I'm out of my technical depth here. So forgive me in any errors, but it's like, those were, big advances but like fairly slow and now you've got stuff now you've got stuff like webflow that's you know three or four years old and is like such an incredible product beyond what you were able to do in wordpress for the last 10 years right it's like everything just seems to be getting better and better faster and faster with how we use the tech but there are areas where that's like not happening and i actually feel like the laptops are a really good example it's like I, I don't feel like Apple has done much with the MacBook in the last four years. They've made it, they've put slightly more memory in it and made it slightly faster, but it's a very small step improvement compared to what they've done with the phones in that time, right? Like all yeah, the innovation think, is happening on the, the phones thing on and watches the, now. The one thing on the laptop that I I distinctly noticed was like the, uh, the startup time. So like when I close mm-hmm. it and open it, it lo- I think because it's a solid state drive now, I believe. I was going to say, uh, I think that's you're also one comparing 2012 to right, exactly. 2020. Right. It's right, a like, big. Di- I mean, I'm sure if I looked at the iPhone from 2012 to yeah. my current iPhone, I would, yeah, it'd be it'd be a bigger difference than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the iPhone in 2012. I think you're right. It's like five. It's, I think you're right about the laptops. Actually, now that I think about it, if I because I know what the other ones are, like it's not like I haven't seen them. So it's uh, it's like definitely incremental. Like they've yeah. kept improving it, but it's incremental improvements. And actually you could say the same about the iPhone for the last, like, you know, at least five years or so. Uh, like there's definitely improvements, but I wouldn't call them like exponentially different. Yeah. I mean the, the creation of the They're iPhone not paradigm the shifting. They're not paradigm, paradigm shift and everything yeah. since then has just been, cause I, I mean, he makes this point in the book, um, which is that these paradigm shifts happen and there's a massive spike and then slowing innovation off of that spike kind of right. where it's like the spike jump starts a lot of innovation, but then innovation starts slowing down right after the spike until there's another spike. Right. Um, and kind so of the question far, we've been able to keep getting more like new spikes before the like the whole thing collapses. basically. Right. Right. And that was uh, kind of the question I was getting to before we got into like, the space and the phone and laptops was like if COVID and what's happening with cities and companies is going to be a new spike, right? Mm. Because it feels kind of like it's been such a massive change in how we work and live and make money and education and everything that it's like, this is definitely going to change stuff, right? Of course. Yep but is it going to change stuff for better or for worse? Right. Like it's kind of hard to, well, will it spark, will it spark innovation? And I guess like when I'm like taking right, a step back the to all of these spark innovation. Yeah. And I guess taking a step back to all these like paradigm shifts, um, 
Well, actually, now that I'm okay, I'm going to say what I was going to say, and then you tell me if uh, <laughs> if this is completely wrong. But I was, I was going to say that all of them unlock some new, some like underutilized resource that wasn't right. there before. So yeah, like I guess when you think about industrial revolution, unlocking like fossil fuels, basically, right? So it's all the stored energy, and now you can do a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't think that was the spark of the industrial revolution, but that is kind of like kind of like what happened, right? Like, I mean, we use yeah. fossil fuels to accelerate a lot of things that probably would have been much harder without them or impossible arguably without them. Uh, and then, you know, you could say the same thing for like, you brought up the Uber example, right? It's like, uh, what was the example they give? Like cars sit idle 95% of the time. Right. And like, so instead of owning a car, you can do this or you can uh, do ride sharing essentially, instead of everybody having to buy a car, obviously that hasn't, it's not like a hundred percent penetration to that. Um, right. But it's definitely an improved, like it's, it's, it's not, I don't want to even use the word improvement. It's like a more efficient uh, mechanism in theory uh, anyway. And so I guess what I was going to say is all these things kind of lead to making use of an underutilized resource. So with the COVID and the city's example, um, is it like, I guess, where's the more efficiency? That's the part I guess I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still thinking it through. Like I, there, there could be, um, but I don't, I, I, it's not like obvious to me. Right. I guess my thinking would be that um, intellectual capital has been opened up in a new way that's because yes. there's yeah, so true. much lower expectations around being in the same place. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I, I've been having this argument with it or not argument, but discussion with a few people online over the last few months where it's like, all right, we've, I think we've pretty much destroyed Silicon Valley. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, I, would, I think it's, I would, I would say so. I think it's done. I think it was on its way out with all of the homelessness and the like terrible maintenance of the city and California's like horrific lawmaking. Uh, but then California, COVID like, been trying to destroy it basically. Seems yeah. Like. Anyway, that's, I mean, that's another podcast Whole yeah, right? discussion, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, you throw in COVID and everybody working remotely and now, I mean, it's on fire. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. There's apocalypse. no reason to be here anymore. And I think the the question then is, you know, is it going to be like Florence where once Florence fell from prominence, we just like didn't really have an artistic center for a while? Or is all of that talent going to be kind of like unleashed on the rest of the world and we're just going to have a more spread out innovation economy? And if that's the case, then we should have greater innovation because the barriers to entry are much lower, right? Yeah. But yeah, the downside... The downside is definitely that there's much less serendipity, right? There's less running into people that can happen when you're all living in the same place. It's it's not quite the same having serendipity on Twitter. Um, well, that's what I was going to say. There's like also a directionality to innovation. Like everybody being remote really lends itself well to kind of like remote first things or like digital things, right? So like innovation right. in sort of the information realm, not necessarily the hardware realm or like the medical you know the medical field or like like, you know there's like certain it it almost makes the direction of innovation uh inevitably towards more information innovation Hmm, say that five times fast Mm. that's (laughs) (laughs) oh that would fit into Um, some of the 5g and like that could be the next big step leap right yeah if we're all instantly communicating all over the world and working on companies remotely and all that like then it's it's gonna be interesting to see what that means. And I mean, like we did that book, um, 
was it happy accidents i think was the name yeah, of it yeah but like, like, on, so, like scientific serendipity yeah yeah and and so much of that was exactly serendipity is the right word yeah it's like it required i mean there was one example i think it was penicillin right like where the spores like went from they like, like blew the in window. from the window or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> like something super random like that and i'm not saying there's no digital equivalents of that there certainly are like you come across the right tweet at the right time or the yeah. you know you see the right article you know whatever like there's diff- there's definitely serendipity online i'm i'm not arguing that um, i'm just arguing like the direction of the serendipity right it's like it, it's not going to be that type of ser- it's not going to be the the certain industries that are definitely more in-person uh, type of industries will get less, uh, I think less opportunities to innovate, I guess, maybe the right word for it right? Uh, versus digital, which is just going to be like exactly what you said that if, if, you know, that's how everybody's learning and working and interacting. I mean, that's, uh, there's just gonna be more at bats. Like if you want to use a sports analogy for, uh, for that versus, yeah. versus other types of innovation. Well, and the other thing that will be interesting is to see how, all of these changes in how we live and work affect some of these scaling laws because yes, yep. bringing back something from the book, you know, one, one really core idea is these like scaling exponents, right? So we already talked about one, which is that if you double the size of a mammal, its heart rate decreases by 25%. And so that means that it's got like a 0.75 scaling exponent, right? So if you double it, it only need it doesn't need 100% more energy it needs 75% more energy right which is really interesting cuz like as it gets bigger it gets more efficient and the same is true for companies but it's only 0.9 it's not 0.75 so if you double the size of a company it only takes like 90% as many uh, resources and then yep. with cities it's 0.85 so if you double the size of a city it only needs 85% more gas stations and electricity and things like that. And that was really neat to me because I feel like you you hear about cities as being bad for the environment, but assuming humans are going to continue using electricity and things like that, <laughs> it's actually... Good, uh, it's a good bet. Yeah, this is probably, probably a good assumption. Uh, it's actually the best thing for the environment to get everyone into cities because that reduces the amount of energy they need. That was really surprising to me. It, it was surprising, but then it's just like, on the other hand, it's just economies of scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right? So it's like, it's I was kind of intuitive when you think about it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so, well, it brings up a couple things, right? It also brings up uh, the energy efficiency question of uh, like, are we going to be now using more energy? Is it going to cost more to get people their food? They're, you know, like all the things that cities kind of become yeah. good distribution. I mean, we won't be for. commuting anymore. Right. So and then you, you got to take that out of massive. there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point too. So, so it's like, I mean, the math equation may end up at, you know, a net zero <laughs> at that right, when you right. factor it all in. Um, I don't know where the math is on that, but it's just, uh, it's going to be a change going back to like something you said before. It's for definitely going to be a big, a big shift. Well, yeah. and I guess, okay. So here's another question is, um, cause there's been a lot of people talking like, Oh, New York is dead. No, New York is not dead. Uh, and not just talking about New York, like this could apply to, to all cities. Like, do you think urbanization as a global trend is going to decrease or, okay, like let's, let's skip global for a second in the U S right. do you think it'll be, um, cause I know in, at least in my immediate circle, nobody I know like wants to move to a city yeah. <laughs> right now. Um, but is that just a right now thing? Uh, or do you think that is, um, cause like I, I know we, you and I talked about this years ago, but like, I know I didn't see myself in a city long term. So for me, nothing's really changed from that standpoint. Uh, 
I don't know if, um, you know, I don't know if overall that's changed for people, but yeah, it's a good question. I mean, Adil and David and Yoder and them, they just got here last weekend. They're living in Texas for the next four months minimum because they don't want to be in New York. And that's like a really common thing. So everyone's getting out of the city, coming out to places like Austin and me and all my friends in Austin are like buying farms and ranches right, <laughs> so outside the city smaller place yeah exactly so yeah we're we're like getting even farther out right um so i i do feel like that's certainly the mindset everyone's in right now uh and i know in the austin market at least there's like like single family homes can't stay on the market they'll right. go up for yeah. sale and they'll immediately get 30 offers above asking and be sold in a week it's nuts there's just like no i, I believe that. i mean i'm not surprised homes. at all not surprised no, yeah. at all yeah I mean, we, especially here, because we've got this double factor of being like a fairly spread out open air city where life really didn't change much during COVID. Like we all still saw each other and went outside and we're hanging out because it never got that bad here. Um, and like bars are closed, but that's basically it. You can pretty that's much like do the rest of your life as normal. Yeah. Um, plus, like everyone's getting out of Silicon Valley in New York and they want to go to another tech hub and like Austin's techie and we don't have like income taxes. There's just like a, There's a huge great, number yeah. of huge number of things happening, driving everyone here. Um, and I, I feel like it's kind of here to stay. I, I don't know. I think that the only reason to be in those really big cities were for the opportunities and the like income that you could get from being there and the people you could have access to. Right. But if everything's going over Zoom and if you can work from wherever... I mean, I've said this, you know, a lot on the podcast and elsewhere, but I'd much rather be in Austin um, than be in like SF making twice as much money because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like the quality of life, the cost of living, like so many things are better here. And I think that oh, more yeah. people I mean, I, are like waking up to that mindset. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I people used to think I was nuts when I would say uh, if, if somebody offered me double the money, but I had to... I have to commute. I would say no. Yeah. Uh, and pe- some people thought it was crazy. Now I don't think too many people would uh, <laughs> disagree. Like I think once you stop commuting, it's just like, Oh just, yeah. You just feel the like way companies so- are putting this cat back in the bag. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if they start saying, Oh no, you'll have to come into work again. Everyone's going to be like, why? Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think people, I think people will want to, I think the humans have been going places to work together for all of history. That's not changing, but I think the idea that you have to do it for this fixed time period yes. every day for five days, that's, that's gone. Th- yeah. That's, you know, or at least gone. definitely like, significant. You'll, you'll, people may do it, but like they won't be happy about it uh, yeah. if the company forces them. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, I won't call the company out, but it's a fairly large company in, uh, and they, I don't know their other offices, but I know somebody in their New York office. And you know, this uh, is a name and shame podcast. No, no, so. no, no, no. I can't, can't shame. Okay. <laughs> Cause I don't know if this person, you know, will get in trouble for this, but actually they shouldn't because this is a company policy. So yeah. they have to go in the office, uh, half the time. And, uh, right now, like I'm not, I'm not, is like, this like JP Morgan or one of those. No, it's not. It's not a bank, but um, okay. and it's not a company I've ever worked for. So don't start inferring that it's Estee Lauder. <laughs> uh, it's another company that I have no relationship with. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, they so they have to go in the office half the time. And the person that I know, she helps plan events for them, mm-hmm. and they are doing all their events online. But she has to come <laughs> into the office to plan these <laughs> online events. <laughs> and she said it's like one of the most like. She's, I mean, she used the words, it's like being like in a Kafka novel or something. (laughs) 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 
because uh, it doesn't does she, make does any she sense. Have to wear, does she have to wear her mask when she's doing Zoom calls so, too? Yeah. Sounds like it would fit <laughs> that's in That's like a not the onion type of thing. Um, yeah. So that's, <laughs> that was uh, my funny going into the, into the office story. But yeah, it's like, I mean, I, it doesn't make much sense. I think some industries, I can see why, let's say they're going in. Somebody's like working in a lab, right? I like, I get that. Yeah. You know, you can't really do that over Zoom. There are uh, definitely things hard. where you want to go into an office or into a shared work environment. And exactly. honestly, I love I love working around people for some of the oh, time. For sure. But I, I mean, that's I why also you want to be alone. That's why you started a co-working space. <laughs> or like a, Dude, a we, why we were going to start a co-working space. Well, you opened up the you opened up the uh, the cafe. So you got We opened the cafe. Right. And that was a really nice yeah. spot to co-work from for the Yeah, exactly. For the two months it got to be alive. So but like that's what I'm saying. That like there is uh, like I'm agreeing with you. I think there's yeah. there's a like I miss working in coffee shops, honestly. Like that's it's so energizing. It is. It's nice. It's a good way to mix it up. Um, but someone dude, told like, me to buy a coffee candle and just like <laughs> <laughs> you know and like make coffee. And they're just like the. But it's not the same. There's something about just like being around other people, even if you're not, yeah. uh, even if you're not even speaking with them. Right. We've been just trying like, to recreate it in Austin by like working in the backyard or like working in other people's backyards or trying yeah. to have people over and like. Uh, I've only done it a few times so far, but it makes a big difference. It's super yeah, nice. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Just being outside too. Uh, so I wonder how that will be. It'll probably be exactly like how you're describing you guys are doing it. Uh, when people like if, and when uh, more and more people are working outside of like urban areas, right. They might kind of self-organize different ways to be around people while they work. Yeah. Well, I'm actually very bullish on like first floor commercial real estate. Because I think that people are going to start going back to coffee shops and restaurants and retail like relatively quickly. But, and I think people will go there even more because they won't go into their office. Right. So, that coffee shops sense, and stuff. Actually. Yeah. It could be doing super, super well in like six or eight months. And coffee but, shops may change. There might be coffee shops or a chain that comes out that uh, is made for people to co work there. Yeah, or like or kind of like workshop cafe in San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, that place is awesome. Yeah, I mean, like Starbucks right now is not, but I could definitely see them changing that or like. Yeah, a, well, I, I honestly, if I'm in a if I'm a, if I'm in a new city and I'm not trying to like get good coffee, I just want to get work done. I pretty much always go to a Starbucks because yeah, I know yep. like fast Wi Fi. They're gonna have yep. tables. They're gonna have outlets. Like it's, it's very reliable. And so if somebody else can make that branding, because I mean, I fucking hate starbucks coffee it's terrible <laughs> like, uh, but it's like the, no but the wi-fi is is the wi-fi is like, always fast yeah that's what you need the, yeah so I need some hot bean juice so i don't feel bad about <laughs> mooching on their wi-fi <laughs> exactly all uh, right so other interesting thing that i'm just pulling out looking at my notes here uh is when it, it it's related to two things so this idea of temperature and like thermic regulation mm, yeah. because this could explain part of why humans seem to live inordinately long for our size, which is like, we're exceptionally good regulators of our body temperature. Right. And that's why we're such good long distance runners, like better than almost any other animal. Um, and, and if hunters, we're look- right, wasn't that one of the things with hunting yeah. too? Like, cause I mean, we can, are- we can just patiently run down basically any animal in the world. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of animals that are much faster sprinters, right? Like a cheetah can sprint 70 miles an hour, but it can't keep doing it. Whereas, you know, pre civilization, man, pretty much everyone could just like jog for 20 miles a day with no issues. Right. That was just like a normal thing. <laughs> so 
I, you know, if I'm looking at this chart that you shared of the animals that have like the highest life expectancy to heartbeat ratio, it's like humans are exceptionally high. And that could be in part because we can sweat and we can dissipate heat so well. Uh, whales are in the water, right? Right. Right. So they're getting they're cooled dead. down. Like yeah. that's going to make it a lot easier. Plus they're massive. Or it's, right? hot, the it's, it's, it's a lot harder to heat up in the water anyway. Cause yeah. yeah. Like and the they're, they're, they're huge. That yeah. That's so they've got too. massive that's scaling benefits. Um, horses are also really good thermic regulators. That's why they can run, they can run yep. for so long. Elephants have the huge ears, which are a giant cooling mechanism, right? Like there's some interesting explanations here around body heat. Uh, yeah. And it kind of goes and it, it plays into why uh, like sauna and heat shock and that kind of stress is so good for health and longevity because mm, you're literally you're regulating. Yeah, you're improving your ability to regulate and you're reducing your resting heart rate, right? It's like, yeah, when you go running, you're increasing your heart rates. So you might be using up more of your billion beats, but... See, I don't even think about time, it like that. I was thinking about that initially, like using up the billion beats, right? I was like, oh, then by that logic, you shouldn't raise your, <laughs> your this is rate. This is Trump's theory. This is why he doesn't exercise. I've he seen thinks he that. has a fixed amount of energy. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> I think he told them so like, someone working for him. Someone working for him was doing like a triathlon or something, and he, uh, I think he said like you're gonna kill yourself or something. Yeah, like that. you're gonna use up your battery. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing will be like if he's still around in 25 years, and you know people our age are not. <laughs> no, that dude's like, living well, to 110. He's or 125 or whatever. Yeah, 125. He's <laughs> fucking indestructible. It's hilarious. <laughs> Oh man. But anyway, (laughs) but oh, so the Uh, interesting thing I was going to mention from the book is, uh, how global, so like global warming, right? So if we're increasing the temperature of the earth by two degrees Celsius, then all biological, uh, life will increase its pace of life by 20 to 30%. So everything is going to live and die faster. Like that's a crazy idea. Yep. And the inverse of it is also true, which is if you could artificially lower your body temperature by one degree Celsius, you could enhance your lifespan by 10 to 15%. Like that's crazy. Well, right? it also goes back to, oh, it's, 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 well, it, there's so it's many huge. things. Off. I mean, it's a huge amount, but then it also makes you uh, connect like the fasting stuff to longevity, right? Cause, right. cause food is nothing but energy uh, and yeah. heat, right? I mean, calorie is literally up. a measure of heat. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, I mean, it, it makes sense then why fasting could induce a longer lifespan because you're effectively reducing that sort of internal heat by, you know, X amount. And, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, there's so many implications of that. And then, uh, it makes like global warming be even more, uh, I guess dire is probably the right word for it. Yeah. And it sort of shows how just like these little changes can kind of like speed everything else up. Um, yeah. And it, it, it kind of continues to play into this other idea about how uh, cities. So this is like really kind of wild. Um, like cities have uh, super linear scaling for socioeconomic factors. Right. So like when you double the size of a city, it only needs 85% more energy. But if you double the size of a city, you increase pretty much every socioeconomic factor by 115%. Yeah. So 
like the wages, wealth, innovation per capita go up by 15%, but so does the amount of crime, pollution, disease, yep. and everything. So it's like cities are this interesting uh, accelerator of everything where if you, you know, and this is actually, this is huge because let's say like 15% into a hundred, that's what like seven ish. So if you did a, if you did a seven doubling of a city size, so if you went from, what would that be like 500,000 and then million, two million, four million, eight, six, Right. So if you went from like a city of half a million people to like the greater New York City area, then there's twice as much, or there's, you know, not just eight times as many people, but you've got this like extra 100% in the per capita of like everything. Right. right? So income, crime, like all of them kind of scale in that. And then that was cool. I was comparing cities. Right. Yeah. And showing like which ones are truly outliers. And it was funny how right. like New York was actually not an outlier at all in many of the things. It was like not anywhere close to being uh I think he made several snarky New York comments, which I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah, like New York should be better than it is, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um but the going back to the crime and and uh well, I guess crime issue, the those are kind of you can view you can think about them as forms of entropy as well, right? Right. Like the, you're generating higher income. Uh, so generating more energy, let's say, uh, if you view income as energy from just like use that as a metaphor, well, crime can be the exhaust or like the, um, yeah, like the, the waste product essentially. I mean, it's not, it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's, it makes the scaling make more sense, I guess is one way to think about it. Yeah. Makes it make more sense. And, uh, it explains some of those huge differences you see in, you know, like the amount of money you can make being in New York city versus other cities. It's like there, there really is a very real consistent benefit to moving to a big city for, you know, one making more money, but then also uh, like being exposed to more, you know, innovation or things like that. Yeah. Like the uh, patents per uh, population yeah, per capita or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then the other interesting side of this is this idea of, and it goes back to your like perception of time. Um, is that because growing cities multiplies so many things, it sort of contracts time, uh, which is kind of like, it's this interesting idea that kind of came up in, in praise of idleness, right? Where it's like, as we've gotten more technologically advanced, we're actually working more, not less. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of lost this concept of the leisure class. It's like, the the more money you make, the more hours you work in most cases these days, right? It used to be the opposite, that right. the wealthier you got, the less you worked. Now it's like the wealthier you get, the more you work. And he's got this good line in here where he says, the the multiplicative compounding of socioeconomic act in interactivity, that's quite a sentence, <laughs> engendered by urbanization, the multiplicative compounding of socioeconomic interactivity engendered by urbanization has inevitably led to the contraction of time. Rather than being bored to death, our actual challenge is to avoid anxiety attacks, psychotic breakdowns, heart attacks, and strokes resulting from being accelerated to death. <laughs> accelerated to death is accelerated a nice... Accelerated to death is a great line. Like a great article because, title or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly what I think we all feel. And it's a big part of why I think that me and so many of my friends are kind of being pulled to the country, so to speak. Yeah. It's like slow it down. 
yeah, when you're out in the woods and you can just go out and sit and read and you don't have like cars whizzing by and you know, gunshots and driving around all the time and whatever, it's you're just in a different headspace. Yep. And the constant growth and speeding things up does give this feeling of like being accelerated to death. Um, it's like, I don't know, even just new tools that you need to try and stay up on that yeah. you know, come out for your phone or computer or whatever. It's like, oh, I have to like learn all these new apps all the time or whatnot. Like stupid example, but once upon no, a time, no, but it's, just, it's part of just it. pen and paper, right? Like yep. that was your tool. And now there's a thousand different ways to write on your phone with new ones coming out every day. Um, yeah, it's like a treadmill in some ways, right? Like you're, yeah. you're running fast, but you're not really going anywhere um, with a lot of these. that somewhere too right? yeah uh yeah there's i mean there so it brings up a big uh, like a big picture point um when we're talking about like the patents per capita going up in like with population i guess scaling with population yeah. uh so if let's say urbanization reverses so like cities get or people move let's say they, they don't increase in size or they maybe even decrease in size a bit and people are moving out uh do the scaling rules still apply if people can collaborate remotely? Like, so I guess what I'm saying is, is the city per capita thing, is that because of the city or because of the frequent interaction or because of the uh, serendipity, right? Like, like what, I guess that's the one thing he doesn't get into because it's, it's hard to tell Like, are these things correlation or causation? Like, that's one thing I was thinking about as I was reading and looking at some of the graphs, right? Like, some of the things correlate really, really nicely, mm -hmm. uh, but doesn't mean one thing causes the other. So I guess with cities, the example, like, like just going back to that, um, could it be tied to just the number of people you're interacting with on a daily basis, which I would argue, you know, now you can be in a cabin in the woods and interact with a ton of people, uh, maybe more people than you would have interacted with on a daily basis, uh, even 20 years ago, living in a city, uh, because you can, you know, you can hop on and not, not like casual interactions. I mean, I'm talking like, like rail interactions, right? right. Uh, like a 30 minute call or even uh, like, this is like, if you're remote, um, you can interact with, and th those people can be all over the world and of, you know, really interesting calibers or have different skills that might not have been local to you before. Like I'm taking like the optimistic view on it, right. Where maybe the death of cities doesn't mean the death of the innovation that comes from cities, right? Like maybe yeah. there's a way that that continues without the city as the, the hub. Thanks to system thanks for the it. internet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the number of people that you get to at least surface level interact with on Twitter every day is always kind of amazing. To That's what I'm saying that like, I wonder does the math cause he doesn't argue about the, well, I mean, some places he does, but like largely he sticks to presenting like these are the sort of the universal scaling rules, but then doesn't, right he doesn't get so much into like the prediction part um, like of, I mean, he does a bit, but <laughs> towards the end, uh, yeah. but it's not so much like, you know, it's not so much like, uh, like I didn't see anything, you know, where he was basically like, well, if cities die, well, we're screwed. Right. <laughs> like, right. Right. Uh, I didn't see that in there. It's just that well, they tend to correlate like cities and, uh, and innovation tend to correlate together. So this is kind of related to what he gets to at the end. And since we're, coming up on our stop time here. This is actually a really good segue because, you know, he, he <clears throat> to the extent that he does a prediction, it's that we're going to hit this finite time singularity eventually. We just can't keep innovating. Like growth is going to have to stall. 
Um, but he also tells this story towards the end about how cities were basically uh, designed or like commute time is constant no matter what you're using oh, to commute, yes. right? Which is yep. kind of wild, but like basically most people commute an hour a day. Uh, the average commute time from home to work is about half an hour each way, independent of the city or means of transportation. This is crazy, yep. right? So it's <laughs> that blew my basically mind. <laughs> like if you live around the corner from your work in New York, you know, you'll, you'll walk and it might take you half an hour each way. Uh, or if you're farther away, you're going to get on the subway and it might take you half an hour each way. Or if you live outside the city, you've got to take like the railroad or drive and it's going to take a half hour each way. Or if you live in the middle of nowhere, you're going to have to drive a while. It's going to take a half hour each way. It's like a very consistent thing. And it's super cool because you can track the size of cities based on transportation innovations. So he says here, uh, because walking speed is about five kilometers an hour, the typical extent of a walking city is about five kilometers across corresponding to an area of about 20 square kilometers. And then according to a researcher, there are no city walls of large ancient cities up to 1800, whether it's Rome or Persepolis, Persepolis, I don't know, which have a diameter greater than five kilometer or a 2.5 kilometer radius. Even Venice today, still a pedestrian city has exactly five kilometers as the maximum dimension of the connected center. But then he goes on to say, with the introduction of horse tramways and buses, electric and steam trains and automobiles, the size of cities could grow, but we're still constrained by the one hour rule. So like most cities are up to like 25 miles across now, which is about how far you could get in a car in a city in an hour. Like it's really interesting. Uh, and, And how that relates to what you were saying is that now maybe a city is no longer completely a geographic thing. Right. Yep. Uh, or, or we're going to need something else. And I've talked about this with a few friends recently where there's, you know, and especially in a lot of our community, there's not really any strong religion, but there are shared ideologies with people all over the world, but there's no yep. good way to like bring those people together. And what religion was always good for was that you could show up somewhere and you would like have a tribe, right? Um, right. You would have people who you had some, you know, shared ideas and beliefs with and everyone is pretty much on the same page about something i'm like uh you don't have that if you're not really in a religion right now and so could we have like nationally distributed like ideology based organizations that mirror some of the economic activity that we would have had in cities in like a pre-covid pre-remote world that can facilitate some of that serendipity and innovation Right, like I mean, I don't, I don't argue know. We already have that. It's just not a. Uh, there's no. There's not like a name to it, right? It's like not a entity, right? Like you, you know, it's not right. Uh, what's the right word for it? It's not like a. Not finite. It's not the right word, but it's not a discrete thing, right? You can't like call it like oh, I'm it's not officially of organized. Yeah, yes, you can't it's like not put exactly. A name on it. It's not officially organized, but there is this like ecosystem of economic activity. That's I would not even national. It's like you know, it's international for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's like a community of some sort. And I, yeah, I don't know exactly what you call it, but uh, I would I would think that already kind of exists. And there are, and again, it's not like you're not worshiping like you know a, uh, a you know a, a discrete god or, or of anything like that. But it is there's definitely like a sh- maybe not a shared pool of meaning, but there's definitely like overlapping meanings that people 
get from their, you know, get in their life um, from being a part of that community. Absolutely. And, uh, and that community can be accessed anywhere, right? It's like you basically just need, I mean, Twitter is probably the best example, but there's love Twitter. Uh, yeah. But I mean, there's these types of communities in gaming uh, in other, I mean, in other places too. So it's not just, uh, it's not just like, you know, the Twitterati uh, <laughs> that have access to this. A, should we make a made you think cult so that we have an international commune to spend time with wherever we go? Yeah. <laughs> well, we already have one. You guys, are, you guys are awesome. Uh, <laughs> a million, we the millions need, of listeners to each episode. Exactly. Well, but at some point people will listen to this and it'll be the millionth listener. So that's true. We're, uh, we're a quarter of the way there, right? Yeah, we are. We hit 250,000 downloads recently. So, yeah. so at the time yeah. of this recording, but by the time you're, I mean, if somebody is listening to somebody this, could be listening to this, they could be number one million, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're the lucky person. <laughs> should we should we wrap up you know who's coming over for dinner who a deal oh wow has it been what's it been probably six months since you've seen him at least yeah i think eight months yeah. i think we saw yeah. i saw him last in november or december but yeah they're he they're living in austin the podcast. He so yep guest on the podcast for sapiens and oh yeah uh, he was with the whole yeah he was there for the whole series <clears throat> yeah and the the crypto episode yep did he join for any others or was it just those two? I think it was just think those, those two. Well, the Sapiens one was like three episodes. Right? Yeah, Sapiens one was two episodes and then one for Homo Deus. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. So plus the crypto. So yeah, he's been on several. Might have to have him back sometime. Yeah, well, definitely. I will, I will tell him you said hi. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, Adil. Um, but uh, I guess for this for this uh, book, I mean, the other thing that we didn't mention and I guess last thing to wrap it up is uh, there's like a Talebian vibe to, to the book. Yeah. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, I mean, he's not like a jerk, you know, when he, when he writes <laughs> at all. Unlike and, Taleb. Well, definitely unlike Taleb. I mean, Taleb is a jerk. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, he, I love his writing. I love his work. Uh, but I, I, I don't follow him on Twitter. And like, I don't know. He's, I know why he tweets that way. It gets him a lot of attention, but uh, he's not the nicest guy. Let's just, let's put it no. that way. Um, but on the other hand, like there are Talebian things here where like there's like different anecdotes uh, that he just randomly jumps into tangents and, and all this stuff. So if you like, I guess where I'm going is if you like Taleb's writing style, uh, you'll probably like this writing style too. Yeah, it's I was going to say if, if you like the way Taleb ties in content from or ideas from tons of disparate yeah, areas, exactly. you'll love this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's because I know we have a lot of uh, Taleb fans who listen to uh, <laughs> to to made you think. So I wanted to I I didn't get a chance to mention that at the beginning, but uh, I definitely wanted to throw that in here. Yeah, definitely check it out. And next week or in a few weeks, we're going to do energy and civilization, right? Yep. Yeah, I got to start. <laughs> yeah. I downloaded we'll do it, it in like three weeks or something. Then yeah, it's. But yeah, so if anyone wants to pre-read Energy and Civ before then, go ahead and do that. If you haven't checked out Scale, be sure you do that too. Uh, if you love Made You Think and all of our tangents, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever podcasts are sold. You can go to your local <laughs> podcast farmer's market and give them a five-star review of Made You Think. Uh, yep. Share this loud. Share, it. share it everywhere. Uh, show widely. off your that you're a made you think cult member member of the cult. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what we need. We need a, a MYT cult. It, it doesn't flow as well as like Rome cult. 
like think cult. Well, someone I'm sure someone who's listening has thought about making a cult. So you can uh, feel free to email us or message us and uh, yeah. tell us what you would do to to turn this community into a cult. What's the step by step? Isn't there yeah, a just, book about like no, making cults? No weird sex stuff, please. Yeah, please. we'll we'll skip that. Well, this is a remote first environment. So yeah, we'll, remote, uh, remote friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm no sure someone's written a book on starting a call. <laughs> no, no cannibalism or anything either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <all> that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a book out there. I feel like this was it was in like one <laughs> of. We do uh, that as an episode. We, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That would actually be very entertaining. <laughs> well, we could do like a history of Jonestown or something. Yeah, that could be good. I feel like there was um, this was in one of Robert Greene's books too, like something about making cults. Maybe it was in Forty Eight Laws. There was definitely some like cult yeah. uh, writing that he had done on there uh, about like the rules behind or not rules, but uh, commonalities, I think between different cults. Yeah. That does sound familiar. I don't remember which book it was in. I don't know. There's anyway, definitely a book about this. If somebody knows, one please message us. <laughs> yeah. Please message us. If there's a good one you've read, uh, it would say be interesting. On- it would tie into a lot of things, but yeah, please it say would. hi to us on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I'm at the rail Neil S I'm at Nat Eliason, and we will be back in a few weeks. Thanks, everyone. See ya.